Good morning. Glad that you've come to worship with us today. Would you join me in prayer again, please? Heavenly Father, we thank you for the gift of worship. We thank you for times like this when we can pour out our praises in song. I would confess it would never have occurred to me to say over and over again, I will wait for you until my soul is satisfied. And so thank you for songs like that that express things that we've forgotten or things that we would never think to mention to you. And we're thankful for the impact of worship in one another's lives, that we can admonish one another through song, songs and hymns, spiritual songs, rehearsing things that are true and right. We're thankful for the way that worship helps us renew our minds, and it gives us memorable biblical truths that can guide us throughout the week. And so, Father, we consider this time of corporate worship to be a significant part of our discipleship. We trust that you will delight in this time as well. This morning on this anniversary of the 9-11 attacks, we pray for our country. We're mindful that many have sacrificed much and some have given their lives in serving, protecting our country. And so today we pray. We pray for first responders, for EMTs and paramedics, firefighters, law enforcement officers, and others who put their lives on the line day after day. We pray, Father, that you would protect them, sustain them, provide everything they need mentally, emotionally, and physically. We pray, Father, for our military, especially those who serve here at Fort Riley. Pray for those who are deployed to other parts of the world. We ask for your hand of protection upon them in every situation, whether it's training or advising or in combat. We pray for the health of families and marriages during these deployments. We pray that this church and the larger body of Christ in Manhattan be a source of strength and encouragement for these families. And we pray for authority, all in authority at all levels of government who make decisions and policies, laws that affect the security and well-being of our country. Father, they have responsibilities that are complex and difficult. And so we ask that you would give them wisdom. We ask that you would give them integrity in all that they do. And Father, this time of year, we thank you for all the educators in our community and the surrounding area, for those at K-State, Manhattan Christian College, Manhattan Technical College, area public schools, private schools, and home schools. God, we thank you for the way that these teachers and administrators not only serve their students, but their students' families and the larger communities. God, we appreciate their skills, their devotion to their work. We're thankful for those who pray for their students, who mentor their students, who provide guidance in every area of life. And Father, the last few years have been especially demanding and in some cases demoralizing. And so God, we ask that you would give strength and endurance to each one and remind us to speak words of encouragement and appreciation. And Father, now as we turn to your word, we pray that you would be our teacher here today. Give us eyes to see, give us ears to hear. Pray that you would empower and lead me as I teach. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to tell you about my new hobby, and it's a little bit quirky. Well, it's a lot quirky, but I had a lot of time on my hands this past summer, 
And so my new hobby is making fermented foods, okay? And so I make yogurt, which is fermented milk, right? Uh, sauerkraut, which is fermented cabbage. Kombucha, which is fermented sweet tea. And then my latest endeavor is sourdough bread, which is just fermented awesomeness. I mean, it's just like the, the best thing in the world. And I don't even remember how I got started in yogurt, but the last three, my brother Jeffy is the one that got me kind of into it. So I want to tell you about kombucha. And uh, kombucha used to be kind of a hippie drink, but people that look like me make kombucha now, okay? So I don't know what, what's happened. But So my, my three brothers and my mom and I, we, we Zoom every Monday night. And one night, my brother Jeff, who lived in Vietnam, uh, he was on there. He had a beverage I didn't, I didn't recognize. So, Jeff, what is that? Well, it's kombucha. What is that? Well, it's fermented sweet tea. And I'm asking him questions. And I got interested in it, and I decided to start trying to make kombucha. And so Jeffy agreed to mentor me in this endeavor. And so he sent me a, a, uh, a subscription to Kombucha U. It's an online course. And I watched like 40 videos on how to make, literally, they were short, but 40 videos on how to make kombucha. And in the process, we messaged back and forth dozens and dozens of times. To make a long story short, I went from zero to 90 in like two months. And so I, I learned how to, how I learned about things I didn't even know existed. Does anybody know what a SCOBY is? S-C-O-B-Y. It's a symbiotic culture of bacteria and yeast, okay? It's this amazing, disgusting little pellicle that you put in tea, and it ferments it. It's magic. And I know about first fermentation, second fermentation, um, flavoring, carbonation, all these things. I'm not bragging. I'm just saying old dogs can learn new tricks. <laughs> And that's what we do as humans. You could all give examples of in your career or some hobby, some interest, where you've invested massive amounts of time and energy in learning something because you wanted to understand it or even master it. Generally speaking, whether or not you really learn something uh, depends on two things. It depends on your teacher and it depends on you. You have to have a teacher who's knowledgeable and competent and then you, for your part, have to be teachable and you have to be willing to invest in what you, in what you want to learn. We are in the midst of a sermon series entitled Becoming Wise, A Matter of Life and Death. And today, as we consider Proverbs 9, I hope that you become convinced, number one, that you can become wise, that you can actually become wise in the ways that matter in specific areas of your life. And I say that because it's my hunch that many of us in the back of our mind, we think, yeah, wisdom, becoming wise in how I speak becoming relationally wise, having relational intelligence, emotional intelligence, that's for somebody else. You don't know me. You don't know my background. You don't know where I've come from. And so my perception is that many times when we are, when we are just passionate about knowledge or skill in some other area of life, we become strangely passive when it comes to seeking spiritual things. Like for me, what's the spiritual equivalent of watching 40 videos on kombucha, okay? If I wanted to learn how to speak 
and not get in trouble over and over and over with the things I say, what would that mean? And so Proverbs, Proverbs 9 is going to instruct us. It's going to tell us, number one, you have a competent teacher in wisdom. If you let her, she will school you. She will teach you wisdom in all the ways that really matter. How to speak, how to think about wealth and poverty, how to think about sex, how to think about relationships, friendships, all these things. Wisdom will teach us. The Proverbs 9 is also going to tell us what is required of us. And so we need to be honest about that if we're willing to be teachable, willing to invest. And so I hope you leave here today convinced that you can become wise, and I hope you actually resolve that you will, with God's help, become wise. If you're able, stand with me, and I'm going to read Proverbs 9. It's 18 verses. I'm going to read Proverbs 9. Stand if you would. Proverbs 9, beginning in verse 1. Wisdom has built her house. She has hewn her seven pillars. She has slaughtered her beasts. She has mixed her wine. She has also set her table. She has sent out her young women to call from the highest places of the town. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. To him who lacks sense, she says, come, eat of my bread and drink of the wine I have mixed. Leave your simple ways and live and walk in the way of insight. Whoever corrects a scoffer gets, gets himself abuse, and he who reproves a wicked man incurs injury. Do not reprove a scoffer or he will hate you. Reprove, reprove a wise man and he will love you. Give instruction to a wise man and he will be still wiser. Teach a righteous man and he will increase in learning. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. For by me your days will be multiplied, and your years will be, and years will be added to your life. If you are wise, you are wise for yourself. If you scoff, you alone will bear it. Woman folly is loud. She is seductive and knows nothing. <clears throat> She sits at the door of her house. She takes a seat on the highest places of the town, calling to those who pass by, who are going straight on their way. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. And to him who lacks sense, she says, stolen water is sweet and bread eaten in secret is pleasant. But he does not know that the dead are there that her guests are in the, in the depths of Sheol. This is God's word. You can be seated. You may have noticed that these 18 verses have a very clear structure. And so the first six verses are an invitation from Lady Wisdom or Woman Wisdom. The last six verses are an invitation from Woman Folly. And the middle six verses are an appeal to accept wisdom's invitation. And so we're going to look first of all at the bookends. We'll look at the invitations of wisdom and folly, and then we'll look at the case for accepting wisdom's invitation. And that's really the point of this this chapter. But first we have these rival invitations, and they're to the uncommitted. That's sort of the term I'm using to describe the simple. 
and we find rival invitations to the simple or people who are uncommitted to either the path of wisdom or the path of folly. And one invitation is to fine dining. And the other invitation, it's to a meal, it's more like uh, gas station food, okay? So they're very different, these two offers. First of all, wisdom's invitation. The first thing we notice, beginning in verse 1, is wisdom's meticulous preparation. She has crafted and built a house. Wisdom has built her house. She has hewn her seven pillars. In scripture, the, the number seven often, not always, but it often denotes completeness or fullness. So by saying that she has crafted this house with seven pillars, Solomon is saying that wisdom's house is complete. It lacks nothing. Verse 2, she has slaughtered her beasts, she has mixed her wine, she has also set her table. And so wisdom has carefully thought through the menu, what she will serve in terms of food, in terms of drink, and she has carefully prepared the table. It's a lot like this wedding reception that I went to last weekend. You walk into the venue and just there, you just look at it, and you're like, so much thought, so much effort, so much preparation for the food, the drink, the, the table settings, everything. And it was an absolute delight. And that's the point that, that this verse is making. Remember that Proverbs 1 through 9 is this extended introduction to the book of Proverbs. And there's appeal after appeal. Accept wisdom's invitation. Seek after wisdom. And in this final, this final appeal, wisdom herself says that the rest of the book of Proverbs, it's like a lavish, well-prepared feast. There is nothing second class. There is nothing careless about Proverbs. Wisdom is ready, and she is very eager to teach you wisdom if you will accept her invitation and learn. And so she sends out her servants to extend an invitation. Verse 3, she has sent out her young women to call from the highest places in the, t- in the town. They're calling from the heights so that everybody can hear. <clears throat> and here's the invitation. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. And as we talked about a couple weeks ago, if, you're, if you're, you're referred to as simple, that's not an insult. It just means that you're young, you're inexperienced. You are uncommitted. Uh, You are undecided on which path you will take for your life. And so you haven't decided whether you're going to follow God and wisdom or whether you're going to follow foolishness. And the, the invitation is let him turn in here. And that word term is the common word for repent. If you turn, if you repent, you turn from your way of living and you turn to another way of living. And so instead of staying on the road of being uncommitted, repent, turn in, and decisively choose the path of wisdom. And the second line restates it, to him who lacks sense, that's a simple person. And so all of us lack sense in some area of our life. If you admit it, that means you're teachable. You're open to what wisdom will offer you. Well, here's what they will experience if they accept wisdom's invitation. Come, eat my bread, eat of my bread, and drink of the wine I have mixed. And so wisdom is not selling anything. She is freely offering this lavish, well-prepared 
feast in her well-crafted house. It's free of charge. The verse 6 explains in plain terms what this metaphor means. Leave your simple ways and live and walk in the way of insight. I've heard, you've probably heard, I have said, I have thought, you have probably said or thought all sorts of excuses why you shouldn't leave your simple ways, why you should remain uncommitted. Well, I just want to follow my own path for a while. I want to sow my wild oats. I want to experience life a little bit before I settle down, before I lock myself into a path that I will take for the rest of my life, with the implication being this freedom is amazing and it's going to be boring and stale when I choose a path. Well, the invitation is leave your simple ways and then you will really live. You will really start living. Leave those ways, says there, and walk in the way of insight. Start living out the insights that you will learn in the book of Proverbs and then you will really live. And so that's the invitation from wisdom. And you read this, this invitation and you realize, what you should realize, you will not find a more informed, competent uh, teacher than wisdom. She knows everything. And she's willing to teach you if you will just turn in. If you read in chapter 8, you'll see that wisdom was actually there at creation. And that's a way of saying her, uh, her wisdom is ancient. She knows the ancient paths, these time-tested ways of living your life that bring to life and, uh, and rest and peace. And we're going to see in a few, few weeks here that everything that wisdom promises, Jesus delivers. Taking this path of wisdom is really the path of discipleship to Jesus. But that's wisdom. Let's look at Folly's invitation, the last six verses, beginning in verse... 13. If you've read chapters 1 through 8 of Proverbs in this chapter, you may have in your mind, um, well, one thing you're going to notice that the description of folly is going to be a lot like the description of the adulterous woman in chapter 1 through 8. Over and over, this character, this adulterous woman shows up, and you wonder, why is Solomon so stuck on talking about her. That's only half the story, right? There has to be an adulterous man involved too, right? Well, remember, uh, Proverbs is written, is written from the perspective of a dad talking to his son, and so it makes sense that he would warn him against an adulterous uh, woman. I can tell you that when my girls were growing up, when they were in middle school, high school, college, I warned them about the adulterous man. I mean, I warned them about the way they should live. But we talked about the temptations that they would face, people who would try to seduce them, that type of thing. And so I just want to acknowledge that. But what we're going to find here is that this image of a son should avoid the adulterous woman is carried through chapter 13 here, or um, chapter 9. Look at verse 13. The woman folly is loud. She is seductive, and she knows nothing. And so like the adulterous woman in chapter 7, She's loud. She's boisterous. Unlike wisdom, folly is not trying to convince you of anything. She's not appealing to your reason. She is trying to seduce you. That is her 
technique. And just like the woman in Proverbs 7, instead of being full of insight, like wisdom, folly knows nothing. And in contrast to wisdom, who has built her house, who has prepared her feast, folly is just sitting on the front porch. Verse 14, she sits at the door of her house. She takes her seat on the highest places of town. And so she wants everybody to hear her invitation. Do you remember how wisdom sent out her servants throughout throughout the city to call out for people to come? By contrast, folly is sitting and waiting for people to walk by. Verse 15, she's calling to those who pass by who are going straight on their way. That word straight is significant. In the Old Testament, the straight path or the straight road is a path of integrity and righteousness and honesty. By contrast, a crooked path is a deceptive path. It's a path of of unrighteousness. And so uh, the folly appeals to the simple who in some sense are on this straight path. Uh, they're walking this path of righteousness, but they aren't fully committed to that path. And this would be analogous to the kid that grows up going to church and basically follows the rules. This kid leaves home, and they continue on that path as much out of habit as anything else, but they are open to other ways. They are, are receptive to other ways of living And Folly understands that the simple are very vulnerable to her seduction. And that was me when I left home. That was absolutely me when I left home. But Folly, she calls out exactly the way wisdom did. This is verbatim verse 4, but in verse 16, Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. And to him who lacks sense, she says, and what she says It's very different from what wisdom said. She says, stolen water is sweet and bread eaten in secret is pleasant. You wonder, what does that mean? Why are we talking about water and bread here? Well, those two expressions are basically euphemisms for illicit sex. Okay, let me explain. Back in chapter 5, adultery is described as drinking water. I'm about to drink water. I'm sorry. I'm just standing up. (laughs) I'm sorry. How did this happen? Oh, gosh. I can't tell you how how many awkward moments I've provided for you over the years. So, So, chapter (laughs) 5. How did that happen? Okay, go. Uh, So... When the father's encouraging the son to enjoy exclusively the wife of his youth, he says this, drink water from your cistern, flowing water from your own well. So here in 917, stolen water refers to stealing another man's wife sexually. In chapter 30, the act of adultery is described as eating. We read there that when the adulteress, that the adulterous woman, she eats and wipes her mouth and says, I have done no wrong. And so here in 917, bread eaten in secret is a secret adulterous relationship. And so the promise here is that illicit sex is sweet. It is pleasant. 
And that is not completely wrong, right? There are passing pleasures of sin, Hebrews 11.25. But Solomon tells us the rest of the story. The fact that it's sweet and pleasant is, is not even a beginning. Verse 18, but he does not know that the dead are there, that her guests are in the depths of Sheol. So that's the place of the dead. So instead of experiencing life, that wisdom offers all those who enter the house of folly eventually experience death. And so those are the two hosts. There are two invitations. There are two meals that have been prepared. And I suspect that if I ask you, which invitation will you accept? Vast majority of us would say, I want wisdom. I want to experience life. But you know as well as I do What sounds best on Sunday morning does not always sound best on Saturday night, right? And so what is it that will give this this simple staying power? What is it that will give them this abiding commitment to, to follow the path of wisdom? What is the deciding factor? Well, that's what that middle block of verses, verses 7 through 12, tell us. The deciding factor for the uncommitted is the fear of the Lord, It's interesting, uh, the first block and the last block talk about the simple, but the simple aren't even mentioned in this, this middle section. Rather, those that are mentioned on either end of the wisdom spectrum, the wise who love wisdom and want more of it, and the scoffers who hate wisdom and everything associated with it. And so the simpler in the, in the middle, they need to understand the, the blessings of eating this meal with wisdom or the consequences of dining with folly. And so that's what this section is about. Verse 7, whoever corrects a scoffer gets himself abuse, and he who reproves a wicked man incurs injury. It's similar to what Jesus said in Matthew 7. He said, don't throw your pearls before swine. If you do that, they will trample them underfoot, and then they will attack you. In a similar way, if you try to reprove somebody who is a scoffer, he says, they will just injure you. They will punish you. By contrast, look at verse 8. Do not reprove a scoffer or he will hate you. Reprove a wise man and he will love you. Did you notice the presupposition there? The presupposition there is that if you're wise, there are times when you still need to be corrected. You still need to be reproved. And What's, what uh, Solomon says, if you reprove a wise man, he will love you. Why? Because he wants to become more wise. He values those who speak the truth in love. Verse 9, give instruction to a wise man and he will be still wiser. Teach a righteous man and he will increase in learning. And verse 10 tells us why the wise are so teachable and why they are so humble, willing to be corrected. It's because they fear the Lord, verse 10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. As we've been talking about in this series, and we'll, we'll continue to hit it as we go, go through because it's mentioned so often in the wisdom literature. But if you fear the Lord, you relate to him as he really is. It's not just that you know God and know who he is intellectually, you actually relate to him as he truly is. That's what it looks like to fear the Lord. And that involves at least two foundational things. First of all, you relate to him as one who is infinitely 
perfect in all his attributes. And so if you fear the Lord, you relate to him to one, as you relate to him as one who is superior to you in every way. He's more powerful than you. He's, he's smarter than you. He's more compassionate than you. Everything good, he is more than you. And that should make you humble to the core and teachable. God, you know things I need. I want to learn. And second, if you fear the Lord, you relate to him as one who is radically for you. And you, you know that he's radically for you because he proved it on the cross. You had a debt that you could never, ever pay. It was not God's debt, but he sent his one and only son to die for that sin, to pay the debt that you owed. And so with Paul, if you, if you accept his payment for your sin, with Paul, you can say just flat out, if God didn't spare his only son, how will he not also with him freely give us everything that we need, including things like wisdom? And in James 1, James explicitly applies the generosity of God to wisdom. He says, if anybody lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives generously and without reproach. And so if you fear God, you relate to him as one who is not stingy or reluctant when it comes to any good thing that you need for life and godliness. And so that, I think, is the core reason why the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. You're not only relating to God as somebody who can give you wisdom, you're relating to him as someone someone who delights in giving you wisdom. So if you fear the Lord, you are poised to become wise. Notice verses 11 and 12. Wisdom is now speaking directly to the reader. For by me your days will be multiplied, and years will be added to your life. If you are wise, you are wise for yourself. If you scoff, you alone will bear it. And so the point is that the wise will experience the blessings of their wisdom. Scoffers will experience the consequences of their foolishness. So again, the point of this section is to make sure we understand that the fear of the Lord is the foundational thing. It is the very is the core, the foundation of wisdom. How can we not accept wisdom's offer? And so now I want us to loop back to those two questions I asked at the first. Number one, do you believe that you can become wise? And number two, will you do whatever is necessary to actually pursue wisdom. Let's think of those separately, very briefly. First of all, and answer this in your heart, silently, just as honestly as you possibly can, do you believe that you can become wise in specific areas of your life? If you don't believe that you can attain something, you probably won't pursue it, at least not wholeheartedly. And if you came to me and you asked me, Steve, do you think I can become I can become wise? I would say, if you believe the gospel, absolutely you can become wise. Believe the gospel and then preach the gospel to yourself every day of your life. Tell yourself that God who sent his only son for you, he will also give you everything you need for life and godliness. So preach the gospel to yourself. You can become wise. And, that, and uh, if you're a believer, I would encourage you. I've done this for too long in my life. If you're a believer, don't give yourself a pass when it comes 
to spiritual virtues and seeking things like wisdom. It's very easy to say, you know, if you knew my past, if you knew what I'm dealing with, you know it's not a real live option. But we are living in days of fulfillment. Living after the death and resurrection of Jesus, we are living in days of fulfillment where God is on record that he will give us the fear of the Lord and he will give us wisdom. He's infinitely knowledgeable and competent as a teacher. And so that being the case, the next question is, do you resolve, and this is on your outline in the bulletin, do you resolve to fear the Lord, turn, turn from your own ways, submit to God, and feast on the wisdom that is found in Proverbs and in the rest of Scripture? And I put it that way in terms of do you resolve, do you choose the fear of the Lord? Because in chapter 1, Proverbs 1, wisdom is talking about the, the people that rejected her. And he says they would not choose the fear of the Lord. And so you don't do it independent of God. But the fear of the Lord is something that you have to choose. Nobody else can do it for you. Your mom can't do it for you. I can't do it for you. This church can't do it for you. You have to come to the place where you say, I resolve in my heart to fear the Lord. I'm going to relate to him as he actually is. And then like Proverbs 9 tells us, if you fear the Lord, then you turn from your own ways, you submit to God, and you learn wisdom, and you feast on what the scriptures have to say about a life that is wise. And so I'm pleading with you to make that resolve this week. Next week is our last week in Proverbs, and we're going to talk about how we feast on the Proverbs. Proverbs are, are unique. They're different from other parts of Scripture, and so we're going to have to think carefully about how to interpret and apply the Proverbs to our lives. Heavenly Father, uh, we're all at a crossroads, and we're all simple in some ways. We're, we're undecided on different areas of our lives, and maybe we don't even know the areas of our lives where we've not chosen wisdom, where we've not sought wisdom. And so, God, we pray that this week we might resolve in our hearts to fear you, relate to you as you are. We pray that, that, that fear of the Lord would show up as humility and teachability. And God, we pray that we would come to you, we would accept everything you want to give us when it, when it, as it relates to wisdom. God, we want to learn wisdom and live. We want our lives to count we want our lives to reflect who you are. And so lead us in these paths in Jesus' name. Amen. If you're able, let's stand together. Sung by 
place the mount I'm fixed upon it, mount of thy redeeming And here I raise my Ebenezer hither by
in this prayer as we end our time together today. If you did come prepared to give, you can do so a few different ways. You can give through the offering boxes at the back of the room as you leave. You can give on our website as well as through the church.